And welcome to Thursday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live here on Giants.com. He is Paul Dottino. I'm Lance Meadow. Good to have you aboard for the next 60 minutes. 201-939-4513. That is the telephone number. You can also chime in via Twitter. Hashtag Giants Chat. A reminder, Big Blue Kickoff Live presented by Coors Light. Download the Coors Light Rewards app to win amazing Giants prizes throughout the course of the season. So we are going to look ahead to the Monday night game between the Giants and the Falcons. We'll preview that. Games we'll on Monday night? And outs. Yes. Are you sure? we got an extra day. Is it really? I know. Are you okay? I'm a creature of habit. Well, that's why I'm making sure that you're in okay and you're in good shape. This really discombobulates me. It does. It throws you off a tad. Because actually, we should set the record straight. Today is the equivalency of a Wednesday in the NFL. There's a world. term for this. Today is a real Thursday, but a football Wednesday. There we go. Okay. You articulated a little bit better than I said. It's really very yes. simple. Well, I know. I was going for perhaps even the simplistic way of saying it. but Much like the quicksand of parody. Yes. Well, another we're going to throw one out of all of our terms. Another one of my indeed. trademark phrases, <laughs> which, by the way, you have still not paid me for using well, this season. Well, I moderate one of yours terms. I don't necessarily use it in its full force. So I don't think that I deserve to have to pay up or pay up to the piper as a result of that. Okay. But, uh, let's get to the topic at hand. We'll start off with the practice report and the encouraging news, Paul, is yes. the media just went out to observe practice and you had Nate Solder, you had Olivier Vernon, you had Evan Ingram, and you had Rhett Ellison, all what it appears to be taking part in practice. Now, the full practice report's not going to come out till later to determine whether it was full or limited, but the fact that they're all out there, I think, is an encouraging sign heading into Monday night's game. Yes, during the media portion, we actually get to see very little of the true practice. We will see warm-ups, calisthenics, some sprinting, and then some individual drills when the players break into their individual position groupings. Uh, and everybody was full in those particular parts of the session. That gives you a lot of optimism that they probably will do a lot today, if not all of it, uh, and systems are looking up for all of those guys. We thought that Ellison and Ingram, as of the other day, were going to be full goal for Atlanta. The questions were, uh, excuse me, I'm sorry, after Vernon... Oh, you worked up today. I <laughs> really am. I can tell. <laughs> after yeah. Solder and Vernon uh, had, uh, and so did Barwin, have maintenance days the other day, you know, what would they do? The wear and tear of football. Right, and, and it looks like everybody's a go. I didn't see anybody on the bike today. Everybody, well, like everybody said, in the media positive. portion was going. And remember, they had an extra few days because the last time the Giants played was Thursday night. So it looks like guys took advantage of the extended weekend as they get set yeah. to go head-to-head with the Falcons. Now, as far as Atlanta is concerned, we don't have a formal practice report from them, but Dan Quinn did address the media earlier today. And I was relaying this to Paul before we came on. It looks like... Grady Jarrett is going to practice today. He is their defensive lineman. Most notably, had three sacks on Tom Brady in the Super Bowl a mm-hmm. few years back. So he's missed the last two games. And it appears, based on what Dan Quinn said, he was optimistic that both Mohamed Sanu and Calvin Ridley were going to take part in practice on Thursday. Both wide receivers came out of the victory over Tampa Bay on Sunday a little bit banged up. So they are also optimistic and encouraged that they will have at least some of their main weapons ready to go on Monday night as well. Okay, two points to build off of that. First of all, Atlanta throws the ball approximately three-fourths of the time. They are a very heavy pass-oriented offense. They do not have a very good offensive line, but they throw it down the field anyway. They're scoring 28 points a game, which is top 10 in the National Football League. They're also top 10 in yards per game offensively as well. So it doesn't seem to have hurt their ability to move the ball down the field. However, they are 2-4, Okay, and even though they've scored 30 points a, a number of, of times games. this season, 
they have been unable to to crack a ton of W's out of that. Um, defensively speaking, they've only got 10 sacks, which is in the bottom six, I believe, of the NFL. Tied for 26 in the NFL. And furthermore, here's the key, folks. Not only do they not get pressure on the quarterback, they also don't blitz very much. I believe their blitz percentage is somewhere around 15% for the season. They don't send very much in terms of pressure packages because they know that their back seven doesn't cover very well. And anytime you send pressure with an extra guy, you're putting more heat on the back seven because those guys have to hold up. Well, the Falcons know that they don't have a whole lot of coverage uh, skills in the back seven. Therefore, they do not blitz very much. In fact, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, they're one of the five or six fewest blitz defenses in the NFL. Now, what does that tell you? Well, it tells you that this should be a game where the Giants go in constructing a game plan that says Eli should have time to do all of the things in our playbook. We should not have to start knocking chapters out because we're worried about him getting the ball out quickly enough. They should be able to use the entire playbook and if you're the Giants, that's really good news because that certainly was not the case against Philadelphia. Well, Atlanta is the type of team, to your point, Paul, they're on opposite ends of the spectrum when you look at their offense versus their defense. Their offense is at the top, and their defense is on the bottom. And I'm talking about across the board well, statistics. Like the Saints, they're in like the bottom three of like yeah. every category. Now, New Orleans, I think, has slowly regrouped. The problem with Atlanta, unlike New Orleans, though, is the Falcons have been decimated by injuries on defense. And that, to me, is a big reason why this unit has struggled. You're talking about a defense that lost Keanu Neal, starting safety, Ricardo Allen, starting safety. They have two new starting safeties in their lineup, and they also lost one of their best linebackers in Deion Jones. Not to mention they're down their starting left guard, Andy Levitre, and they just put Devontae Freeman on IR. Now, Freeman missed four of the first six games, so that's not as a significant loss because they've been playing without him, and you're going to see Tevin Coleman and Ito Smith, who's a younger back, a more bigger physical back. So that I don't think is necessarily a shocker to their running game, but I agree with you, Paul. This is an attractive matchup for the Giants. However, with that being said, how many times I know. have we laid out I know. attractive matchups and it doesn't necessarily come to fruition. So put as much stock into that as you want. But we're not making things up. We're not fabricating it. The truth is Atlanta has struggled. They've given up a lot of big plays. This is a defense that is allowing 32 points per game, Paul. That's 31st in the NFL. There's a defense that's giving up nearly 300 yards passing every game. That's 29th in the NFL. The rushing defense is tied for 24th. They're giving up 122 yards per game. Oh, hold on. It gets a lot worse. Third down defense, they're dead last. Opponents are converting 56% of the time on third down. So there's a lot to like if you're the Giants offense this week, but it still comes down to execution and whether or not the Giants are going to be able to work out their issues on offense and put together those long, continuous drives and take advantage of a defense that is struggling. You mentioned the reason why they don't want to blitz is because they don't want to leave their corners and their secondary out on an island. See, Jim Schwartz, who they just played on Thursday night, the Eagles defensive coordinator, he doesn't care whether he loses personnel or not. Oh, he's coming at He'll, you. He's coming at you, and he doesn't – it makes no difference whether he's got his third-best corner, That's his second-best corner, his fourth-best corner. With respect to Atlanta, they're a little bit more conservative. They don't want to leave their guys out on an island, especially if they're hurting back there. This is a team that is 
last in the NFL in third down conversion by the opponent. Yep. At, did you say that? 50? I just said that, 56%. You did say that. Yep. I apologize. No, fine. You, can, uh, you might as well revisit it. Well, I was reaching for the papers as you were going through the numbers statistic. because yep. the numbers are unbelievable. They're giving up 5.1 yards per carry. Did you say that one too? That one I did not say. 29th but I was aware of that. in the league yeah. at five yards a carry, folks. Wow. Wow. I mean, they've given up 16 touchdown passes. I mean, the numbers are the numbers. You know, I'm not going to sit here and pontificate about how poor their defense is. The numbers speak for themselves. Here's the thing, folks. If the Giants play to the back of their football card on both sides of the ball on Monday night, they're absolutely fully capable of winning this game without question. Now, what does it come down to? When you play in the quicksand of mediocrity, it comes down to, are you going to play clean football? Yep. Is the ball going to bounce your way? Okay, you can't have drop passes and tip balls get intercepted. You can't drop balls, you know, on punt returns or have balls hit your, your ankles on a punt return and get recovered by the other team in the end zone. You can't have that stuff. And then, of course, you need the game to be officiated properly. Those things happen, you know. You got a chance. Well, and your point about being opportunistic and taking the ball away, because I think that's significant, and that's an area the Giants have struggled. They have only won the turnover battle once, and coincidentally, that's the one game they won. That was in Houston. Atlanta, despite their 2-4 and four record, they've played a lot of close games. That's number one. Number two, Paul, they're plus four in turnover differential. They've only had three turnovers on the season. So, you know, this is the type of game where if it does become an offensive clinic, taking away a possession from Atlanta, I think, is important. Shortening the field. But Atlanta has been very good in holding on to the football despite some of their injuries. So I think it's a little bit easier said than done if you can actually take advantage of perhaps field position and take the ball away from Atlanta because they've been very good at doing the complete opposite. Well, a couple of things. First of all, their receivers hold on to the ball. They do not drop passes. That's first. Second of all, they do not fumble. They do a real good job of holding on to the ball. Third of all, Matt Ryan... Very smart quarterback and does not throw a lot of interceptions, especially when he's home. He's always been a much better quarterback at home in the Dome in Atlanta than he has been on the road. So by all means, folks, I'm not telling you this is a pushover. I mean, I believe the experts believe that the Falcons are nearly a touchdown favorite in this game. Personally, I believe that's laughable. I don't think they should be. But, you know, I'm also not going to sit here and guarantee a Giants victory because we all know Giants have had some matchups that, that gave them a chance to win this year, and they have fritted those games away. So I'm not, I'm not going to sit here and tell you the Giants are going to win this game, but they certainly have a lot of uh, reason to believe that they can. I agree with you. And if you just look at the game log for the Atlanta Falcons before we open up the phone lines, went toe-to-toe with the Saints at home, went to overtime. New Orleans had that long, lengthy drive, and Drew Brees was able to jump over the top to help the Saints win. Then the following week, they lose to the Bengals by a point on also a last-second Cincinnati score. 
They got beat up by Pittsburgh, which really is the only lopsided game they've played. And then Mm -hmm. Sunday, Paul, they're coming off another heartbreaker. This time they won, though. But the reason I say heartbreaker, if the ball doesn't bounce past Deshaun Jackson, I don't know if you saw that last play against Tampa Bay. They were throwing lateral to lateral there. (laughs) And Deshaun looked like he had an open lane up the left sideline and it bounced right past him out of play. Who knows? They may have been looking at a fourth consecutive loss. So everything has been a nail-biter with Atlanta. Nothing's come easy. Why? Not because they can't score. They can score with the best of them, but they have had trouble stopping just about every offense that they've collided with this season. Yeah, there's no question. They're going to get into a track meet, much like the Saints. And they're comfortable doing that, apparently. That's what the Saints do. They're they're very similar to the Saints. These are very, very closely related teams. And, uh, you know, we saw the Giants fall short to New Orleans for a variety of reasons, the same ones I just talked about five minutes ago. So who's to say that that's going to happen or not going to happen on Monday night? I have no idea. But it certainly would be a game that uh, the Giants have to believe that they can take. Lance Meadow, Paul Dottino with you here. Thursday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live, 201-939-4513 is the telephone number. Hashtag Giants Chat. Giants Chat, excuse me, on Twitter. Let's open up the phone lines. We got Hugo in Jersey getting us going. Hugo, what's happening? Hey, good afternoon, guys. Hey, just just one thing to keep in mind: Mike Smith, the defensive coordinator for Atlanta, was fired this week, so we may see some different wrinkles from them on the defensive side. Mike they Smith was not on the Buccaneers. Mike, Mike Smith is on the Buccaneers. Mike Smith is not on the Falcons staff. He was never on the oh, Falcons. Staff. I'm, I'm sorry, yeah. that was he was their ex coach. He was right. their ex coach some years yeah. ago. Yeah. yeah. In fact, at one point, he was a candidate for the Giants job. Correct. Yeah. Uh, well, thank goodness we didn't hire him. I guess. Hey, um, you know, we saw a lot of turnover in the roster. Uh, this week at the bottom bottom part of the roster, and I think that's going to that, that could be a theme for this week. There may be some changes. I mean, uh, I heard Coach talking about finding the right combination on the offensive line, which is the first time I heard him talk about use those specific words. And I think I have a theory about what he might be doing. But that 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 led me to think a little bit about. We've been talking this year about the offensive line gelling and chemistry, and I'm wondering if those are really um, excuses for bad play or bad players, and what I, what I have in mind is, you know, can we simplify the run game and put just a hat on a hat, just to give Barkley a little bit of space so he's not getting hit behind the line of scrimmage? And I think with a uh, running back of his quality, he can make something happen. And you know, I, I think back to last year, right around this time, uh, because of injuries, DJ Fluker got in the game and. Uh, uh, the Brent Jones uh, replaced Richburg as the center, and um, you know uh, Mike Sullivan took over the play calling and committed to the run game. And all of a sudden, the run game improved. Well, that was the so, lone Denver game where you saw Orleans Dark will have a very successful contest in that primetime game. That's the one you're referring to. Remember, though, Richburg well, went down via injury, and that's why you had yeah. Jones come yeah, in, so you yeah, know, and, and a lot of the, a lot of the changes that occur on the bottom end of the roster, by the way, this week is a result of injuries too. It's not as no, if they're making changes for the sake of making changes. No, I, I understand, uh, but but I, I think the the uh, I believe Coach Shermer when he says, you know, it doesn't matter if you were a high price free agent or where you were drafted. Once you're on the fifty three. You're just part of the team, and we're going to evaluate your performance. So, you know, I, I think I think he's uh, he's got a mindset where you know he likes to look at, at players and give them opportunities. He even says it's time to give this guy an opportunity or that guy an opportunity. But but you know, is is the possibility of introducing new offensive linemen into the mix 
a detriment or a potential positive? Because I think last year, at least for the run game, it was it was a positive. But well, we who, who just out of curiosity, Hugo, are you thinking of them introducing? I think they're going to put Spencer Pulley in at center, and they're going to move Greco to, to right guard. And I, I think Omame needs to go to the bench because, you know, last year we had, right, we had uh, Jerry, who was good at pass blocking. We had Luca for a while, who was good at run blocking. And now we have Omame, who's good at neither. So I, I, I think they're going to put someone in who's going to help in the run game. Well, Pulley started for the Chargers all last season and was, remember, a late arrival. So to your point, I could see them saying, hey, he needed a few weeks to get acclimated, adjusted to the right. system. I mean, there's no sign that that is going to happen this weekend. I would not be surprised if perhaps those are the tweaks. But, I mean, those to me are the only realistic changes, Paul, that I could think of on the interior. I don't see any changes happening outside of perhaps center and right guard at this point. I mean, there's no reason also to make any changes, obviously. Yeah, I couldn't see anything else besides what he just outlined as even a possibility. And I'm not suggesting that that's even a real possibility. Uh, But I will say this, uh, you know, the Giants need to find out what they can do to better protect Manning. Now, if that means using Elijah Perry as, uh, as a fullback, Elijah Penny, the a penny? Uh, fullback. Yeah. I said Perry. I'm yeah. thinking of Leon Perry, fullback for the Giants back in, way back in the day. Um, either use him as a fullback and get him in there to help pass pro uh, or make him an H-back and, and allow him to help out there too. Uh, or if it means keeping Red Ellison in on a lot more plays, going double tight end, running out Ingram and keeping Ellison in to help the edge. One way or another, okay, their pass pro has not been consistent or good enough. They have to protect the quarterback better, period. What they have done to this point has not been good enough. And what do they say about people who continue to do the same thing time after time after time after time when it doesn't work? That's just foolish. So they've got to do something to improve the pass protection. And 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 whatever it is, uh, you're going to have to start seeing it quickly because they're running out of time. Yeah, and, and I think a credible run game where you could then play at really play action, not phony play action, could be part of that scheme to I'm get all better for pass it. You know how I feel. Well, you bring the I'm guys closer it. to the box. It, it could certainly do wonders for you. And appreciate the phone call, Hugo. Thanks so much for weighing in. Eli Manning's been sacked 20 times in the first six games of the season thus far. And when you look at the breakdown, the breakdown has fluctuated a tad, Paul, but it's fairly been consistent. Two sacks, six sacks, four sacks, three sacks, one sack, against the Panthers, which was the unique experience, and then four sacks again against Philly. What was the, what was the number, the pass-run ratio? Are the Gi- Giants are running the ball like 32% of the time? I, I believe. I don't have that number in front it's of me. It's right but around that number. That it is right around that number. And, and they're like in the bottom three or four in the NFL in terms of run-pass ratio. Well, and part of that is playing from behind. And the other part about that is is the one game to me that jumps out to me is the one, the Saints game where it was 44 passes and 15 runs. I mean... It's hard to win football games when it's that lopsided. But remember, game dictates that. Now, you can argue the first half of the Saints game was neck and neck. Right. Second half, really fourth quarter, is when things got out of hand. See, here's the thing. you got to put your mind to it. If you really want to get the running game going, you have to commit to it. And it's not just about the play calling. It's about the players. 
specifically the offensive linemen and the running backs and the receivers and the tight ends, they have to say, you know what? We're going to block that guy. We're going to do what we have to do to give Barkley room. And I'm going to bite my tongue off if I have to, but I'm going to make sure that guy in front of me is not going to be in the backfield hitting Barkley for a three-yard loss every time he touches the ball. you got to get your gumption going. It's a mindset. That's it part is of a playing mindset. the offensive line. And, and it's not just about the play calling. Because here, if Coach Sherber doesn't believe that player X, Y, and Z are going to go out there and foam at the mouth and take care of their blocking assignments on a running play, he won't call the running play. And can you blame him? No, he's going to play to the strengths of the personnel that's out there. So so to me, there's a whole bunch of players here, not just simply the starting five on the offensive line, but there's a bunch of players. Everybody who's on that field on a given play, those 11 guys, all right, not the quarterback necessarily, but the other 10 guys, they have to say, okay, they just called a run. Can I make sure I pick up my guy? I'm not going to let my guy beat me. I will win my matchup. And if on a specific running play, 10 of those 11 guys, again, we're going to exclude the quarterback, they make their play, they make their block, then you know what, folks? Then that means Barkley, in all likelihood, will just have to make one defender miss on the play. He'll be lying. That's what a lot of runs. I don't think you guys understand this. A lot of runs are not meant to necessarily clear out areas for the running back. They're meant to isolate him against one defender. So that he can win his one-on-one battle. And that's what you're counting on. And you're certainly confident that he can win his one-on-one battle. Well, let me ask you. Folks, and let me ask you out there. Do you believe that Saquon Barkley can win most one-on-one battles against a defender in the National Football League? I'd say probably yes. You just want to get him to have the opportunity to win his one-on-one battle okay. as opposed to getting hit immediately so upon then, the handoff. Actually, that means, let me do the math correctly. Barkley gets the ball, Eli hands it to him. That means the other nine guys on offense have to win their one-on-one battles when a running play is called in the huddle. It's a mindset. Let's head back to the phone lines. We check in with Chris in New Jersey. Chris, what's happening? Hey, hi, Lance. Hey, Paul. Hi, and, Chris. Uh, pre- appreciate the breakdown on the on the Falcons game. Some good stuff there. Um, you know what? I, I believe Wellington Mara said this at one time, where a, a good season would be meaningful games in December. And I think at this point, the last six out of the last eight seasons, we'll, we'll take meaningful games in October. Yeah, know, yeah. Mr. Mara always said that his goal every year was to make sure that there was something to play for during the last home game. So that when your fans who had the tickets came to your last home game of the season, what would be your your home regular season finale? That there was something on the line in that game. That that's always what made a successful season. I tend to be the guy who always says I want I want the games to mean something in December. He always took it to the last regular season home game. You want the fans to come to that game with a reason to cheer. Yeah, and I, and I agree with that 100. percent being a being a giant season ticket holder, mm-hmm. um, my 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 question just to go off topic from the Falcon game. You know the media has really just talked about the the league with these mobile quarterbacks, these running quarterbacks. You know when you go back to the nineties, uh, and and I'm just going back to the nineties, but early two thousands. I mean, you had these guys still out there. I mean, Michael Vick when he came into the league, everybody said, "Oh, things are changing." Vince Young. I mean, and then you had the mobile guys like a Warren Moon or a Brett Favre, the guys that just, you know, moved around the pocket. 
But, you know, Eli takes this bashing. You know, he can't step up in the pocket. When, when guys are coming through in the A and B gap, he can't step up the, in, the, in the pocket. And, you know, everybody, uh, the, the media, you know I, know, I know he's getting older, but the media tends to overlook that and just doesn't want to dive in a little bit further and look into these things. Well, well, he's never been able to do those things. Yeah, I mean, that's why I find it comical right. that you're asking Eli Manning to be a mobile quarterback or find his mobility 15 years into his career whenever since he stepped into the NFL. He's never been a mobile guy. How'd the Redskins feel after RG3 got banged up and basically, you know, broken in half? And then they, you know, he wound up leaving the team because it was like, well, you're no good to us now. You're broken. Really? Right. Okay. Yeah, let's yeah. everybody be RG3. That, that's a great plan. What it comes. Well, let me yeah. even take Go it ahead, a step Chris. further when they even say, you know, Eli could slide in the pocket. I mean, you have you have a Brady, you have, uh, you know, even going back to Dan Marino, those guys can move around the pocket. Eli could do the same thing, but of I just he don't can. feel like he has the confidence. He can't step up in the pocket like he had normally done in years past. Well, well and, I, and I, I think that's what they fail to look at. You're, no, you're absolutely right, and I think it also is based on scheme too. For example, he was sliding around in that Houston Texans game. We he saw did, a lot yeah. of mobility out of him. Mobility meaning within the scheme moving out in different directions to at least extend the play. But there's ways, even in today's NFL, Chris, I would argue, if you don't have a mobile quarterback to still have success, you just need to, especially if your offensive line is your shortcoming, you need to game plan around it accordingly. So that's where the Giants are at right now. They know their quarterback can't extend plays, and they know that the pass protection is a problem. So how do you do that? You get rid of the football quickly. You have wide receivers run different routes. You see what happened in the Houston game where you moved Eli Manning a little around. I mean, there's ways to counter that. The problem is, Paul, what I would add to that is Houston played the Giants a lot differently than how some of these other previous opponents played them. I think it's important, and this is not a coincidence, and I'm glad you made this phone call. The Giants offensively played their best three games against Houston, New Orleans, and Carolina. What is the common denominator on all three of those games? The common denominator. No, the common denominator is no. Eli had to bring them back. They, that was yeah. not yeah, they were behind in Carolina. Yeah, they were behind in New Orleans, and he brought them oh, back Carolina. within a he brought them back within a score. That game was in doubt. Right. New Orleans, Drew Brees had to do some magic at the end of the game with some help from the officials to pull that game out. Right. No, no. But the common de- New Orleans when they scored on their opening drive. The, I com- the common denominator between those three games is that in all three of those games, there was a defense that did not blitz a lot, was not overly aggressive, and did not have a very good pass-rushing front four that could get there with just their four guys. Mm-hmm. Well, Houston had J.J. Watt, though. I mean, okay, but but it was isolated. They did not. He had isolated pass rush, but throughout the course of the game, if it wasn't him, they really didn't no, get very to Eli few other guys very much. That's fair. Yeah. Okay. So now, but but where did the Giants' offense have the most problems? Well, let's see. Dallas. They had the most problems against Jacksonville. They didn't move the ball very well. They were in the game with a chance to win it, but they did not really have a great offensive day. Why? Because Jacksonville has a very formidable defensive front. Dallas, while not a great defensive front, they blitzed a lot Stunt. and they stunted a lot. And that caused trouble for the offensive line. Confusion. Okay, what happened against Philadelphia? They've got an unbelievably very good defensive line that provides pass pressure from every angle. Have you noticed the pattern? Mm-hmm. There's the yeah. pattern. Yeah. It's right there. It's right there in front of you. In the three games where the Giants faced a shall we say, pedestrian pass rush, the offense performed well enough that they could have won all three of those games. 
in the three games that they faced a terrific front four or, or, a, deep front a, four too. or a deep front four or a schematic pass pressure team, they absolutely couldn't do anything with the football. This is not a coincidence. And every defensive coordinator out there who looks at the Giants understands that. The Falcons, in my mind, fall into the category of the Saints and the Panthers and the Texans. This should be a team that falls into category A, which means the Giants should offensively have a lot of success against them. And appreciate mm, the... Yeah. Thanks, guys. You I'm got good. it, Chris. Thanks Just so breaking much for it down for you, my in. friend. That's all. Well, and, and that has been a common theme. I absolutely agree with you. The only player, as I mentioned, that would concern me about Atlanta this week is Grady Jarrett coming back because he can apply pressure from the interior. Outside of that, I wouldn't be overwhelmed. Tack McKinley is a guy, though, I think that falls a little bit under the radar. He's in his second season. And he leads Solid the team player. in sacks. Not necessarily somebody that I think is going to be disruptive to the no, point where they can't contain it. But a solid player. Yes. Vic Beasley has absolutely disappeared. Now, I don't He's only got to, one sack on the season. And six tackles. I don't want to jinx anybody, but this is a guy who originally had made a name for himself, or at least with the potential of being a dangerous pass rusher. This year, he's been invisible. Been quiet, yeah. I mean, he's dealt with some injuries in the past. I don't necessarily blame it on the lack of good health this year. I also think it's perhaps, you know, him just not getting as much help given the fact that they had so many injuries. You know, when you take guys like Keanu Neal, Ricardo Allen, and Deion Jones off the field, it's a little bit easier to focus on Vic Beasley and not worried about anybody else. Attention, it's a big difference maker. Mike is in Montgomery, Alabama. Mike, what's happening? Hey, good afternoon, gentlemen. Good afternoon to you. What do you got for us, Mike? Look, um, ownership will now need to go with a short-term business model of maybe two, three years to get this team back on the beam. And the guy I think that's going to really help on the front line will be uh, Coach Shermer. Uh, I, I see some qualities in him already, some characteristics, if you will, to make him successful in the short term. Uh, he's a good role model, and, and that's going to be something that um, some of these players need to follow on a positive attitude on the field and off the field. And we have one or two people, I'm sure, that come to mind that can really put this team back on the, on the winning track. Uh, two, he looks like a football coach. He's, he's, um, he carries himself well, uh, and he's, he, he looks, his, his appearance is admirable. Three, in his press conference today, I can see he has a heart of a teacher. Uh, he's proven that as an assistant in Minnesota with the QBs, uh, teaching them passing skills and what have you. Um, and I think he's a good listener when he's in front of the media. And he'll, when he says something, and if the media doesn't understand what he says or are not listening, he's going to say, listen, I just said that. And when you listen to him, the media's really turning it around and trying to put him on the spot, and he handles it well. Namely, he's a good communicator. Mm -hmm. and, yeah. and the most important one, guys, is development. And that goes with the short-term business model that I think ownership needs to grasp and back this guy. There's no quick quick fix here. The, the, the season is almost lost, and I hate to look at the glass as half empty, but we have a lot of work to do, and I think you'll agree with me. You know, Eli, certainly he's 
his prime is past, but he can still be effective this year. And development for next year to really find somebody who's going to be his heir apparent and be almost like a hybrid player coach. Those are my comments. Those are my thoughts. And I'll, I'll listen to you guys off the air and have a great day. I appreciate you uh, listening to me. All right, Mike. Appreciate the phone call. Well, Thanks he, so much for weighing in. He left out one key factor about Coach Shermer. He was a center at Michigan State, a teammate Former by the way, of Carl yeah. Banks. And that does go a long way in establishing respect and credibility in the locker room. Because when you played center at that level, okay, Michigan State now isn't exactly, uh, you know, Bergen Catholic High School. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's a big-time program. Or okay, unknown school, yeah. Yeah, it's a big-time program. And when, when you have played center at a big-time program like that, it shows that you have an understanding for not only what goes on uh, at, 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 in a pressure-packed situation, because trust me, there's a lot of pressure at Michigan State to win, but you also have an understanding of what it takes to win in the trenches. And, and you can relate and sympathize with all the different guys in your locker room, whether they be the, the high-profile guys or the guys who are carrying the lunch pail in the trenches. It means that you can relate to all those guys because guess what? Chances are you have felt every pain and every black and blue that they have felt. And you have felt every ache from every loss as a player that they could be feeling now. That does carry water. Well, he's worn many different hats during the course of his career. I, I think that brings respect because the players understand Pat's been a head coach. He's been, as you mentioned, an offensive lineman in terms of a player. He's been a tight ends coach. He's been an OC. He's worked with quarterbacks. So he's been in a variety of different team cultures, Paul. He's been mm -hmm. in a variety of different locker rooms. He's been in very tough situations like Cleveland, where he won more than most coaches have. So, you know, he's seen a lot of football, specifically on this level. And the, the point that the last caller was bringing up is what at least I take away is the guy has dealt with a lot of these circumstances where teams have gotten off to rough starts and you could tell this is not anything new. And he's also, he's not going to fight his battles with the media. That I think he's made very clear, Paul. No. Nor should he. No, I, I don't think any coach should be forced to do that. But, you know, as much as he's peppered with questions about Odell and he was peppered with him a lot, he just re-emphasizes his initial answer and says he's ready to move on. And I think he does that a lot. So he's comfortable in his own skin, especially in this market, where if they're going to continue to ask the same question, he's going to give you the same answer. And it may be boring. It may not be necessarily the sexy soundbite that the fans and the media wants, but he's just not going to play racquetball with them in well, terms of going back and forth. And and you know what? That's actually the right way to play it. Yeah. Because if he answers a question and, you know, he's put it out there and said, look, this is what I think. All right. And then somebody else asks him the same thing in a different fashion because they're trying to prod him and they're trying to get him to say something that'll be juicy for some drama. He's just going to say, well, I already answered you. I, I told you. I stand by it. That's it. It's like, I love it. The sun rises in the east. And my answer's not going to change. It still rises in the East. You know? Uh, I, I, I love it because when he gives those answers out, it truly makes some of the questioners look as foolish as, as, as they are. Because we know what they're doing. They're literally fishing. Of course. They got, they got the bait on the hook and they're fishing. And he's calling them out. You know, I'm, I'm, hey, go ahead. Throw your bait out there. I, I, it's, it is what it is. You know, fish here.
And it's easy to do that when your team is off to a 1-5 and five start. We want to remind you, Big Blue Kickoff Live presented by Coors Light. Download the Coors Light Rewards app to win amazing Giants prizes throughout the season. Let's head back to the Lions Thursday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live. Getting you set for Monday Night Football, Giants-Falcons. Len is in Columbia, Maryland. What's happening, Len? Hey, guys. How you doing? Doing all right, Len. What do you hey, got for us? Good, good. Sorry I missed your Atlanta breakdown, but I'll listen later and catch the – I missed the first 10 minutes of the show, so – but I'll listen again I'll listen again later and catch that uh, – Okay. Your, your breakdown of the Falcons. Um, you know, I'm going to sound like a broken record here, but I'm going to try to build on what some of the previous callers said and what, what you guys were mentioning. Um, you, you want to start a rebuild in the offensive line? Uh, and, again, you know, broken record – you find an anchor. You find an anchor at center. Sherman knows that. That's that's the one thing. He's going to start with a center next year. The anchor, the rebuild inside out, isn't isn't John Halapio. It's not Greco. It's not Bert Jones. It's not Spencer Pulley. Mm-hmm. Why? Here's a question I have. Again, we have to use names. And as I've said before, these guys have more athletic ability in their pinky on their left hand than I've had in my whole body for my lifetime. So (laughs) (laughs) keep that in mind when I talk about these guys. Um, I I do understand that. There is a reason why the Los Angeles Chargers went out and gave one of the Pouncey brothers a two-year $15 million contract with a $10 million guarantee to play center for the Chargers and waved goodbye to Spencer Pulley. Well, they were looking to upgrade, just like Len. There's a reason why Tom Coughlin in Jacksonville went out and got Andrew Norwell and parted ways with Patrick Omame. You're always looking to upgrade. You don't want to land. I I want to make make something clear because... A broken record point. Yeah, but there's um, a problem here, Len. Len, Len, there's a problem here. There's a problem here. You're, you're automatically hinting at assuming at something that you cannot do in the National Football League. There are many reasons why a player is not a good fit for a particular situation. I think what you're trying to say here, you're setting up for, oh, the guy's just not that good. Well, that's the easy answer. But there are many other answers. You don't know about his medical history. You don't know about his practice history. You don't know about the schematics of what they were running. For example, Ross Cockrell was about to get cut by the Steelers two years ago. Remember last year? He was about to get cut. Well, because he could not play effective zone defense in the secondary. So the Giants make a trade for him. He's playing man coverage, and all of a sudden he's a good corner and gets big money from Carolina during the offseason. So it's not always because the guy doesn't have the ability. There can be many reasons why a team parts ways with a player. So let me just okay. give that to you now before you go down the wrong road. Well, okay. Let me, let, let, me tr- let me try to finish my point. And I understand everything you said, Paul, and, and, and generally I agree with you. But I, I, would, I would respond with the following question for you. Would you rather have... Um, the Pouncey brother and Norwell or Omawe and any of the four guys that I mentioned at center. Oh, that'd be great if I had the money under well, the, the cap resource, to afford yeah. them. Yeah, it's but all about I don't. resources, right. Len. Here's my, here's a, and I so, mean, so let me, and, agreed, agreed, okay? Let me, let me, let, let me get to my other point. Again, I like Mel Hines, Lance too. probably <laughs> longer than Paul has heard me say this. 
You're not going to beat the Chargers. You're not going to beat the Jaguars with guys that they're cutting. you got to get the guys they're keeping. Those are the guys that help you win. Not <laughs> Not well, Len, I don't think any Len, I don't think anyone's disagreeing with you. It's just Len. our point is you need the resources to go and accomplish and those, that. And those guys yeah, okay. are not available. This, that's look, that's okay. why most teams in the NFL try to keep their offensive linemen because there's a dearth of them available. Eric Flowers just got signed by the Jaguars. Okay, he is their fourth starting left tackle this season when he starts this weekend. Eric Flowers, a guy who has been a voodoo doll for every Giants fan for the last four years. He got immediately signed, immediately, because of the dearth of offensive linemen available on the street. Okay, let me me say something about Flowers, and and it's going to be positive, okay? This guy started sixty, at least sixty-five games in the NFL at two different positions, mm-hmm. including including one playoff game. He's strong as an ox, weighs three hundred and twenty pounds, has never been injured. Eh, you know, ankle missed the game. You know, but played on that that that, that rookie year. He played on the, on that on that angle. Uh, mm-hmm. I never heard anybody say he dogged it. He, he may not have been good enough for us at left tackle in a lot of people's minds, but why not sign Eric Flowers? He started 65 games in the NFL. Well, look, you you know how I feel about Eric Flowers. I think he got a bum rap. He certainly needed to be better, but he was not by far the guy or the villain that so many people no, made I him agree. out to I be. Agree. Yeah. But I, having I mean, said, I, but having I, said I, that, Lance, I, I couldn't. Agree. Now, but having I'm, said um, that, though, let me, let he got just, picked it, up immediately. Well, well real quickly, go ahead. Well, what's your okay. last point? Right. Yeah. Let me let me go to let me go to Nate Solder. Um, I, I'm, I'm glad he's on the team. You know, for, for a couple of years until we can gain our bearings here and, and we can get that anchor in the center of the line, I'm okay with Solder. But, you know, there was a reason why New England let him go. Uh, I mean, it's back to that other thing. They made, it, they made that trade. What, they, what did they send to the 49ers? A third-round draft choice to get that left tackle? I don't know if it was that. He, it may have been be, even a fifth He's going to be a pretty good player. I, I mean, the, the, the Patriots uh, – yeah, all right. Um, uh, Len, one thing, to, one yeah, thing, ahead, one thing ahead. to understand: Nate Solder has, is it may turn out to be what Bill Parcells used to call a hold the fort guy. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. A hold the fort guy. Now, for those of you who were not around in the '80s, a hold the fort guy was an upgrade over what you have, who at least is not going to become a disaster yeah. at the position. He yeah, is a reliable yeah. guy. Yeah. Who does an adequate job, and he's not going to the Pro Bowl. He's not going to be a superstar, but he is going to be functional and adequate until such time when the rest of your team can get to the level that you want, so that you can move forward. A hold the fort guy. Parcells used to love those kinds of guys. Maybe that's what Nate Solder is for the Giants. And Len, listen, yeah. we're going to let you go on that note. Appreciate the phone call. The other thing okay. I would add is you don't necessarily need to just fix your offensive line through free agency. And what we haven't brought up is the draft is a way to find, to Len's point, Paul, guys that other teams haven't even touched or decided to part ways with. Well, But that takes time. You don't just necessarily have one draft. So you brought in Will Hernandez through the draft this year. Dave Gettleman may say to himself he's going to target another position, perhaps in the upcoming draft. And then little by little, you try to bring in the guys that you want to retool the offensive line. Nobody says you have to do it through free agency. You, you know what I had said going into this draft, and again, I, I was not in the room, but I had said two offensive linemen in the first three picks, certainly in the first four picks, 
would have been my preference. That's not the way they went for whatever reason. They didn't evaluate the guys like they like maybe some others did. I don't know, but I can't argue that they got some good guys because I wanted Lorenzo Carter, and they got him around later than he should have gone. B.J. Hill has certainly turned out to be a good player. I mean, if you want to question any of their picks in the, in the first four rounds, the questionable one is Loretta. You know, did they need to draft a quarterback in the fourth round, uh, you know, when they certainly could have used another offensive lineman to enter the fray of competition? And maybe, who knows, maybe the guy would have been good enough to win his starting job. I don't know the answer to that right now. But, but I would have had no trouble, and I said it before, so I'm not going to back away from it. Picking two offensive linemen in the first four rounds would not have been a bad way to go. And I'm going to say this now. For every one of you out there who is screaming for a new quarterback and screaming that the Giants better take a quarterback with their first-round pick next year, well, you're wrong. They should take an offensive lineman with their first-round pick next year. And if you don't see that by now, then, then you really need to go see an optometrist because that has got to be the top priority for this club going into next year's draft. They need to get a King Kong, son-of-a-bee-beast offensive lineman with their first-round pick. Well, and that's also a way to not then have to tie up resources in paying a Nate Solder or paying a high-prized free agent who may not necessarily be a Pro Bowl player, Paul, but because you're in such a tough position where you need to upgrade the spot, you're forced to pay that because that's what the market dictates. Whereas if you go via the draft, you know you're getting the guy on a rookie contract. doesn't mean you're paying them pennies, but you're not necessarily putting a huge dent into your salary cap. That's why I said let's not lose track of the draft as a resource to retool as opposed to just saying you got to go out, as Len was saying, and you got to find Mike Pouncey and you got to find Andrew Norwell. That's not the only way to go about improving your offensive line. Let's head back to the phone lines. Doug is in Rochester. Doug, what's happening? That's what I see. Doug is having a conversation with somebody else. Hey, uh, Hey, Doug. Welcome aboard. (laughs) How are we doing? Sorry to interrupt your other conversation. We're glad you made (laughs) some time for us. Yes. No, no, I was talking to somebody else. Uh, Yeah, it's Doug first. Hey, um, I wanna, I'm not going to talk about the Giants, the players they should have got. I'm going to talk about the players they got now in the, in the, in the draft and all okay. that. Um, um, they had um, sports from the post, uh, Jeff and Jai on Monday. And if I can remember, I think it was you, Lance, and Pa, I told you over two weeks ago that uh, Pat Shermer does not have the Minnesota Vikings. He has the New York Giants. Yeah. Yeah. And Swartz said the same thing. Listen to me. I said something about passion with play calling to you guys. Worse than the same thing. He has to change his playbook to the players he got on offense. That, that offense is not that good, so you have to get the potential plays for that offensive line so they can play. This is not the Minnesota Vikings. So I said the same thing I told you two and a half weeks ago about passion with play calling. He has to get the play calling that fits his offense. Dog, of course. No, no dog, dog, dog. Doug, that's no, no, Doug, Doug, that's the problem. No, Doug, yeah, but Doug, Doug, no, that's the problem. He needs to do exactly the opposite because what he has done, the Giants have tooled the playbook to an offensive line that does not protect and to a quarterback who does not have much mobility. Consequently, what are they doing? Everything's a quick dump down. It's a quick check down. It's a quick screen. Okay, that's the problem. How many people have called up this show and complained that they're throwing three-yard passes? That's the problem. He has changed. Pat Shermer has totally altered his playbook, his offensive philosophy with Mike Shula. They have overcompensated, in my opinion, 
for what they believe to be a porous and suspect offensive line to, to where they have neutered their own offense. That's the problem. Well, Don't you see? Well, Paul, Paul this, this is how the teams in the NFL with offensive lines that's not that good and they're winning, okay? And the offensive coordinators are finding a way for them to win with not that good of offensive lines. Well, of well but, but are you also taking into consideration, Doug, well, first of all, can you, Doug, Doug, can you no, name me a team? No, Doug, 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 Doug. Doug, relax, okay? I want to have a okay. conversation back and forth here. If you're going to make claims, okay, on the show that there are other teams that have bad offensive lines and are finding ways to win games, we'd like an example so we could hash that out as opposed to speaking in generics. So give me a team that has a bad offensive line that is consistently winning. I think it's only well, fair we use well, real-life examples. Bay Packers, they, the offensive line ain't all that good. I can start naming teams. The Green okay, Bay and is, is Eli Manning, uh, hold on, is uh, Eli Manning Aaron Rodgers in terms of mobility? Well, not mobility, but well, that, he, like, that, he got the arm he can throw. Okay? Yeah, but Aaron Rodgers Eli. brings a lot more to the table than Eli Manning does in terms of mobility. Okay, and, and now can I ask you to compare special teams between the Packers and the Giants? It's not even close. The yeah, Giants well, special I'm teams are terrible. And they're, oh, yeah, but Phil, wait, wait. The, the field defense, position. Uh, Doug, we're going to have to let you go, okay. Doug. We're going to have to let you go. I mean, th- Doug's, Doug's going off the deep end See, here. See, the- field position is relevant. Field position has a direct impact on the plays that you call. And the Giants have had horrific field position. Look it up. Their average start drive has been consistently in the bottom three of the NFL since the season started. That is also part of the problem. So you have horrible field position. You have no running game. And you have a sporadic protection uh, from the offensive line. And you have a quarterback who's not a runner. You have four huge conditions that that are that are helping to sabotage this offense. So Coach Shermer and Coach Shula have adjusted. You're 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 coming on here saying he's got to adjust his offense to the team. That's what he's done. He has overcompensated to adjust for these four negatives that he's had to deal with. That's what's happened. Well, and the other thing that at least I've brought up on this program, Paul, and I don't remember if it was a show I was hosting with you, for those that want to continue to make the Minnesota Giants comparisons, and I've made those comparisons in the offseason because I thought that there's similar personnel groupings that I think you can make the comparisons mm-hmm. to. You know, the Thielen and the Diggs versus the Beckham and the Shepard. You had a young rookie running back, Dalvin Cook versus Saquon Barkley. They addressed the offensive line in similar ways in terms of a little with the draft, Pat Elfline, and then Mike Remmers and Riley Reef. That's how Minnesota went about its business, and then you look at what the Giants did. Those, to me, were similarities and conversations worth having, but... Minnesota had the number one scoring defense in the NFL last year. Okay, Paul. and the Giants don't have that. Okay, so that's, that's a huge Let's difference. Let's go through the checklist. Is it not? What okay. else? What else? So that's one. Then you take into consideration also in terms of the quarterback. Now, I'm not saying that Case Keenum's a Hall of Famer. I'm not no, going no, no, there. No, it's important, though. No, but Case Keenum's got a little bit more mobility to him. Hold on. Than Eli Manning. Well, they've so, tried some rollout stuff. Well, with no, Eli. they have. No, no, but to my, me, but that, that's is, not the breaker. I'm not there are other major difference. Here. Listen, I'm going to sit here and go through them all with you. Get to the, get to the ones well, though that are have, significantly different. Well, no, I want to hear what you have to throw out too. Significantly yeah. different. The Vikings could rely on their defense to get them well, out of trouble. That's number one. That's number why I listed one. that number one. Number two. Field position, Minnesota, vastly better special teams than the Giants. Well, and your defense helps with spe- it's field position too. So Let's that, not forget about that. So that helps tilt the field. Yeah, vastly different. Number three, the Minnesota Vikings offensive line 
clearly progressed and developed much quicker Did. than yeah. the Giants' offensive line has, so they were able to establish a running game. Guys they stayed. ran the ball 43% of the time. And they also lost their starting running back in Dalvin Cook. So they, yeah, they stayed still were able to do with that. the run game. Well, the other thing I was going to say with respect to the offensive line, not only did it progress quick enough, Paul, they remained healthy. That group was fairly durable last year. So those so, three differences yeah. are worlds apart and why, you know, the results have certainly been different and why Shermer could do things with that offensive playbook in Minnesota that he can't do here. You don't have to go any further. Yeah. You don't have to go to well, the quarterback. I always start with the defense. Anywhere else. The defense is a humongous difference. You're talking about a Vikings defense that is up top, and for those who are not watching, I'm holding my hand up high, and then a Giants defense, which is still searching for identity and struggling in various different facets of football. They're, so They're, they're a middle-of-the-pack defense. Yeah, I don't but, have a problem saying that. But they're that. certainly not the number one scoring Absolutely defense in the NFL. Not. Absolutely do you know what type not. of luxury that is for an offensive Huge. coordinator, Paul? Huge. Come on. I don't need Huge. to say the basics to Huge. you. Let's head back Huge. to the phone line. Scott is in New Mexico. Scott, what's happening? Hey, guys. Uh, I know you're short on time, so I wanted to go over some statistics that pro football focus has uh, you're come gonna, out with. That's a bad idea. That's a very bad idea. <laughs> well, well, you, can, well, you can either go somewhere else or you can hang up the phone. That's a really bad well, idea. We'll at least be able to hear you out at the early goings. Where are you going to okay. take this, Scott? Yeah. <laughs> Uh, they ranked the te- all the teams uh, after the sixth game. And uh, as far as the offensive line, the Giants ranked 25th. And to answer the previous caller's question, I think Cincinnati actually has the worst offensive line than the Giants are ranked and has a better record. But needless to say, uh, they ranked 25th. Uh, Chad Wheeler has a 43.7 overall grade. That makes him the worst tackle in the NFL right now. Their run defense is 21st. Their pass rush is 28th. I'm not going to go into all the details about uh, Eli Manning. Uh, However, the one statistic that is disturbing is uh, he's currently, according to Pro Football Focus, he's currently the least accurate passer in the NFL when throwing to open receivers. That means he has time and he's missing people. The reason I'm bringing up the statistics is not to put people under the bush, but it is something that I'm a little disturbed about, only because of a comment that was made after the game, uh, the last game the Giants played by Pat Shermer, when uh, I think a reporter asked him, uh, do you think the players are playing, or are, are you worried about the effort that the Giants are After are the Eagles out? game, he was asked about that, and he said he wasn't concerned. Right. If you're not concerned about the effort, uh, then how do you explain that? Because I think I'm more aligned to Paul. This is about beating your man as opposed to some of the other things that are coming out. It's 11 on 11 game, and if you don't beat your man at the line of scrimmage or beat him to a space, you're not going to win. So Mm -hmm. I was very disturbed that he thought that the effort was satisfactory when I don't. I'm more aligned to what Paul's thinking. So if if Pat thinks that the effort is good or or adequate at uh, uh, the level that they're playing at, how do you explain the record then at one and five? And that was my basic question. Well, Scott, to to me, I think there's a distinct difference between effort and execution, the two E's. I could say my team is showing effort. Can I stop you for one second, Lance, on the execution part? Because execution, I I assume you've taken uh, a basic course in physics uh, at some point, uh, or one of you guys have done that. 
and are familiar with uh, Isaac Newton's law of motion, which says that for every action there's an opposite and equal reaction. Uh, just because you're executing, there's somebody on the other side of the ball who's executing also. Of course. So of it's course. and it's, so it's your job to beat that man mm -hmm. in the execution, which is why I think beating your man and uh, I think. But Paul, but, you what I, what I, but what but what I'm saying, Scott, is Scott. I, I don't think though the lack of execution is synonymous with the lack of effort. Like, I could be working my butt off, and I could be right. going up against a guy that's just stronger. stronger He's got right, just exactly. a lot more on his plate than I do. So does that mean that see, I'm not putting effort into it? See, Scott, I, I at least like the fact that you got back to the man-to-man -man matchups because, you know, that's, that's getting away from the analytics, and that's talking old-school football. So you're with me on that, and I appreciate right. the fact that we're, sy we're symmetric in terms, of, in terms of the philosophy and old-school language. But here's what right. I will say. We, we, we've all admitted this. I, I think we have. The Giants are in, in that quicksand of mediocrity. When you're a mediocre team, okay, it's not necessarily about effort and execution. Because when you're a mediocre team, when the ball bounces the wrong way, like it does on a punt in Carolina, okay, and it bounces the wrong way and gets recovered in your end zone for a Panthers touchdown, when that happens, you're not a good enough team to overcome it. When right. you get a horse collar called against you like Jack Rabbit did against the New Orleans Saints and it helps keep a drive alive and then nails you in the butt, you can't overcome that stuff. When you're a mediocre team and the Giants are in the middle of that quicksand, I believe talent-wise, they are a middle-of-the-pack team. I really believe that. You cannot overcome bad bounces and poor officiating. You cannot. You will lose. That's just the way it is. And that doesn't say that they're not giving effort. Yeah. And it doesn't even talk about execution at that point. It simply says you're mediocre. You're not good enough to overcome the extra landmines that are in the sidewalk in front of you. It's just that simple. And, Scott, we're going right. to let you go on well, that I note. because it. Yeah, you got it. Thank Thanks you, so Scott. much for weighing in because we want to try to squeeze in a few more callers. Let's head back to the lines. we got Jabbar in Atlanta. Jabbar, what's happening? Hey, what's going on, guys? Doing all right, Jabbar. Hi. What do you got for us? Hey, man, I have a quick um, – well, I just want to uh, kind of correct the perspective. Um, I think Lance made a comment yesterday about – Well, I wasn't um, on the program yesterday, Eli, but anyway. Yeah. Oh, well, um, the last time you were on, Lance, okay. um, you made a comment about Eli Manning, and you said that the fans – like, we, we, like, what do we expect him to do now and, like, late in his, in his career, you know, to, you know, why are we expecting him to run? I don't think it's so much that we're expecting Eli to to run. I feel like the fans feel like if there was maybe on all of the pressures that we've had this this season, if there was maybe a thirty percent chance of getting outside of the pocket and throwing the ball off, you know, at least attempting a pass, that the offense would be more efficient. It's not so much that we want Eli to run; it's just that we know that our line our our line is bad and just. Somebody back there who could give us, maybe who could escape the pocket, maybe on 20% of those pressures, 20% more than what what's, what's already being done. I feel like our offense would be a better offense, drastically better. And my second, I have another statement too. The last time I called in, I called in about um, Barry and Thompson, our free safety. I mean, I said that we needed to upgrade our free safety spot, and I feel like Curtis Riley is probably the best free safety that we've had since Steve since since Stevie Brown. Um he's athletic, he's rangy, he probably doesn't have all of the skill sets yet to play safety, but I feel like moving forward, 
Curtis Riley is going to be a big portion of our pass defense. Um, so that's all I have to say, guys. This is a quick call. All right, Jabbar. Appreciate Thank the you. phone call. Well, I mean, he made a transition from corner to safety. So, you know, time will tell with respect to Curtis Riley. But, you know, right now it's a learning curve for him because of the fact that he's been thrown into a brand new position. And, you know, that will be a spot that I'm sure the Giants are going to look to upgrade overall because it was a position, Paul, where they even made changes at that spot after they finalized the 53. So that, to me, is a sign that they're not done experimenting at the safety position around Landon Collins. As far as the Eli Manning comment, you know, I mean, listen, we, we don't have that much time remaining on the program. It's like beating a dead horse, but I will say this, Paul. Anybody who makes the argument that if you put Alex Tanney or Kyle Oletta in at quarterback right now and thinks that the offense is dramatically going to improve and score a lot of points is pure speculation. Notice how all of those statements are made, I think. You, you have no ample evidence to go on to tell me that you know for sure they're going to score seven more points, for sure that they're going to get five more first downs, because the two of those guys combined have 14 regular season passes. So all it is is I think, it may, it could, it would, it should. There's no substance behind any of that. That's all I'm going to say with respect to that. Ozzy is in Hicksville. Look at this. We got a treat from Ozzy, not just on the Giants radio network. How are we doing, Ozzy? Guys. I'm not doing good. I, I'm dying with this team. This team means 365 to me. You know that. I don't follow anything but Giants football. Listen, I want to say something about Eli Manning. He didn't forget how to play football. No, he all didn't. All of a sudden, after 15 years, guys. You know what I mean? No. Game is won in between between the trenches, okay? Tell me, explain me something. People who are thinking, and I've been listening on WFAN a lot, and I've stopped listening to it. I don't turn it on until Mike Francesa comes on. Because you know what? Half of those shows don't mean nothing to me anymore. They're anti-giant, and I'm sick and tired of it. I'll tell you what, Paul. You were right about one thing. You know what? You said you said to uh, Joe Beningo the other day that the 15-year-old veteran didn't, doesn't forget to play football all of a sudden. And you know what? He showed against the Houston team. You give him time, he could deliver. What bothers me the most, guys, is what's being overlooked. I, I, I watched the film, the NFL. I have that uh, package from the NFL that, you know, they break the film down, and I watched that. Beckham hasn't been getting open at all. He's been getting triple covered so, yeah. at times. If he's if he's being triple covered, what are you doing, Shepard? How come he's not getting open? It is the execution. I don't blame Eli Manning. Yeah, he's not the same. He, but, you know, who would be after six years of taking hits and playing after? behind this putrid offensive line, guys, you know? It's hard to execute when you got a guy in your face and you can't even have five steps back. You know, I, so. I, 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 I love when we get the previous caller talk about, oh, uh, you know, certain analytics say that Eli Manning's got the worst completion percentage when throwing to an open receiver. Okay, well, on how many of those throws was there a guy either in his face, at his feet, about to hit his arm, I mean, well, you need more of a breakdown when yeah. you throw out those. On numbers. how many of those passes was he hit, or was he pressured? Okay, I mean, get he, get, he, get me those well, numbers, times, and then then show I'm me what, what's going off. on. No, no, I mean, but, that's why I, I anybody who talks about analytics and stats in a bubble is absolutely naive beyond belief because there's nothing about the game of pro football that is in a bubble. It is a spider web. 
where every single strand affects something else. It is a, a game of dominoes where one domino affects the rest of them on the table. Nothing is in a bubble in the National Football League. Nothing. No player, no play, no scheme. Nothing is in a bubble. Why don't people understand that? Everybody's so caught up in numbers. And that's because of fantasy football, which, of course, was put on this planet by aliens to destroy the human race. Go ahead. If a 15-year-old veteran is playing like that behind that line, do you think a rookie is going to do any better, Giant fans? Well, that's my point. That's my point. My goodness. I I really don't think mobility at this point is going to make a huge difference because of the pressure that any quarterback is going to see. So I'm in agreement with Yazi, and and I think when you analyze Eli Manning— could he play better? Absolutely. I think everybody on this team could play better. But to say that he's the lone scapegoat is completely misleading because I don't think, as Paul mentioned, you're taking into consideration all of the other dynamics of this team that are not necessarily in conjunction with one another right now. And there's a lot of times where there may be a guy open and Eli's hit and all of a sudden the completion is short two or three yards. Why? Because he was hit. And, you know, people say, well, if somebody was running away from that, all of a sudden the completion percentage would go up and be more touchdowns. I'm just, I'm not seeing it. Just remember this, Jim Plunkett was a statue too who had washed out with the 49ers and the Patriots. All of a sudden, he goes to the Raiders. They've got some weapons around him. They can protect him. He's as as immobile as a statue. And Kurt Warner was one of those guys, by the way, who was also immobile. And what happens? All of a sudden, he went to Super Bowl with the Raiders. Kurt Warner leaves the Giants goes to a Cardinals team that has a running game, Yeah. okay, has Larry Fitzgerald, protects him. Anquan Bolden. And, 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 and he goes to the Super Bowl. And he was as, as, he had feet in cement. Hey, guys, Please. listen, I want to end on a high note. Wake up, wake up, people. I have a feeling we're going to win. This, this Monday night, we're going to win this game, I'm telling you. And you know what? I wish I could listen to you guys 24 hours a day, seven days a week. I'm, I had enough of this FAN crap. I really do. Well, I don't, really don't do. insult yeah. my station now, Ozzy, okay? Come on now. I work for the fan, too. Don't insult the station. All right, but I, Brother, no, I appreciate no, 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 what you're saying that. about it's us. Thank that. you. You know what it is? Be good. The show that they have on from uh, after Joe Beningo in between Mike, I cannot deal with those guys. Those guys are so anti-giant. I swear to God, that show should be off the air. Ozzy, we appreciate the call. All right, Ozzy. Appreciate the now. phone call. Thanks so much for weighing in. As... Uh, Ozzy, I thought, just bringing it back to the subject at hand here, there are a lot of things you need to take into consideration when analyzing uh, this offense. All right. And that, I think, is a fair point, as opposed to just one individual, which a lot of people just are dying to focus on. It's not so easy to blame one person for the giant struggles at this point. It's very complex. Three facets of football goes without saying. you got to look at all three facets. With that being said, that's going to wrap up today's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live. We'll be up and running again tomorrow, 1.30 p.m. Eastern, as the Giants will get set to go up against the Atlanta Falcons. That means we'll have Big Blue Kickoff Live on Monday, too. So we've got a few more shows before we actually get <laughs> to a football game this week. A very lengthy week. With that being said... For Paul Dottino, I'm Lance Meadow. A reminder, Big Blue Kickoff Live, presented by Coors Light. Download the Coors Light Rewards app to win amazing Giants prizes throughout the season. We will speak to you tomorrow. Enjoy the rest of your day right here on Giants.com. Have a good one.